The year turns, 2023 draws to a close, and 2024 looms ahead filled with fresh challenges and opportunities. It's time for CMO Combo's big end of the year wrap up. But we're not just going to be sitting down and asking, should old acquaintances be forgot and never brought to mind? We're joined by Laurie Good, CMO of Index Exchange, to take a big look back at the stories that have shaped marketing in 2023, how CMOs and leaders have responded, and what to expect and prepare for in 2024. From AI to budget cuts to team well-being during trying times, we dive into all this and more on the big CMO combo of the year. Hi, Laurie. Welcome to CMO Combo. How are you doing today? I'm great. Thank you, Will. How are you? I'm great. I'm great because it's a it's been a long time coming, this episode, doing a big review of 2023. I feel like there's so much happened. There's so much to unpack here. So I'm excited to have this discussion. Um, but before we get started with that, Laurie, like maybe you could introduce yourself to the audience, tell us a bit about your background and, and why you thought it was so important to really take stock of what this year has brought for CMOs. Of course. Uh, so I have spent nearly 20 years in, in digital advertising, in the digital advertising space. I've been in marketing the past 15 or so of those years. And my journey has taken me through starting at the agency side, moving to an ad technology platform, and then going under some fairly big companies, Microsoft, um, what is now Meta, but was Facebook at the time, and then Amazon. And now I'm uh, the CMO of Index Exchange. And in addition to leading all of the marketing functions for the organization, I also lead learning and development for the company as well. Excellent. Excellent. So Laurie, it's it's tough to know where to start talking about 2023 and the impact it's had. Like, I think yeah, the new normal that we were expecting, like this this calming that was going to happen after the pandemic just hasn't emerged. It's it's continued to be pretty chaotic. And some of that chaos has been good for CMOs and some of it has been very bad for CMOs. But I think probably the logical place to start, at least in terms of the discourse I've seen online, in terms of like the big topic that's been shaping a lot of the, the ideas around marketing this year is, is AI. Like we can't have a discussion about marketing in 2023 without AI. What's your perspective on sort of, the promises that it had at the beginning of the year and maybe like is it living up to the potential that we're expecting at this point or is there still a bit to go in terms of like how we're utilizing ai and what um capabilities it might have there is a lot of room to go i think we're we're really at the beginning and i would take a step back and almost qualify what we mean by ai because i do think that this year has marked a a pivot um, of what we think about as ai moving forward and how we're utilizing it today but if you think Back in history and in technology generally, AI has always been part of the story um, as the digital platform started to emerge, Google, for example. And you know, at Index Exchange, we use a lot of AI in our technology and our platforms themselves. So machine learning is a really core competency of our company. And so that's been ongoing for a long time. Uh, I think with the emergence of popularity for tools like ChatGPT this year, that started to become more uh, consumer-driven, you know, common uh, household name, if you will, that it started to even emerge in, in schools and things like that. And that's really become part of the discussion. How do we leverage generative AI in ways that make sense from a marketing perspective or, or otherwise? Uh, I think for our teams and what I've been seeing, people are dabbling and, and there are ranges of that dabble. So I think from our team, what we're learning is how can AI help us to become more efficient for some of those more mundane tasks that don't require a lot of brain power, but might help with catching things we miss or making summaries of, 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 of content or concepts uh, that are very easy. So some of those more repeatable kind of processes where we're dipping our toe in, where we can accelerate and become more efficient with our workload and then leave more time for some of the more strategic um, options. And, and the same is true on the on the creative side, I think. Um, where we have eyes wide open is that there's still a lot to learn and a lot of best practices that that need to be established in order to make sure that that AI is working well for us, but also within the context of privacy safeguards and making sure that over time, uh, AI continues to be sustainable and doesn't require, you know, there, there's a recent New York Times article about the compute power that's expected from AI over time that is startling. Uh, and so I think we we really, as an industry, need to keep our eyes on how AI is evolving, how we're leveraging it to make it most efficient, but also doing so responsibly. And 
it the rise of AI happened so quickly. I think that we're fighting to catch up to make sure that we have a good understanding of the impacts long term on on a lot of uh, a lot of things. Good content being one of them, and, and making sure that we're preserving the authenticity authenticity of of human humanness, if you will. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I imagine. I mean, it's in the pipeline. I imagine 2024, we're going to see a lot of regulations coming to the fore from, from different governments about AI usage. I know there's talks in the EU, there's talks in the UK, there's talks in China, talks in the US happening right now, in fact, around the responsible use of AI. But I, I think it's not right ethically for us to just sit and wait for these regulations to emerge. Like We need to be thinking about ethical use of it right now. I mean, if you look at um, as time of recording, the um, actor strike has just been called off, but a lot of that conflict was all about the ethical use of AI. Like, who owns the rights to your personal image? Who owns the rights to your voice? If an AI can replicate that accurately, and I think marketers, have, marketers and particularly CMOs, have a responsibility to really think about the ethics behind how they're, they're utilizing it. Like, it's not just about oh, we can do this really cool stuff. It's should we be doing this? really cool stuff i'm putting that in quotation marks there i think i think 2024 is gonna be very very interesting Um, i'm hoping it's not going to turn into an absolute battleground and be really contentious i hope we can reach a happy agreement between different parties but yeah who knows at this point what are your thoughts about how things are going to proceed in 2024 in terms of ai you know there's i think history repeats itself and so there are examples of where technology and adoption of that technology has accelerated to a pace that things like regulation and deep understanding of what the implications are haven't quite caught up to it. So I expect 2024 to still be a race between consumption of of AI and, and application in new ways that people may not have thought of in 2023, but also this awareness that regulation could come and what is the responsible use of that. I think back to and in, in you know, maybe this is my my history and and being inside the the walls of Facebook at the time and and thereafter. But I do remember uh, Mark Zuckerberg talking about how when he started Facebook at at Harvard many years ago, he didn't quite have the understanding. He had a vision for what it could and should be and and what it would give to the world, but he didn't quite understand all of the implications downstream. If you fast forward twenty years to what would happen um, potentially and, and how what are the irresponsible uses of that and how does that impact society? I think it's really hard to have that foresight all the time, but knowing that it's happened in the past and that we actually are in the present moment to, to be able to prevent that or to go in eyes wide open. I think one of the ways that the industry at large and, and consumers at large can think about this is collaboration. And if you are open and upfront about how you're applying AI, what's working, what's not working, what are some of the pitfalls, the faster everyone learns, the faster we can get ahead of, you know, some of the regulation or some of the misuse of of the tools. But I think that requires speed. Uh, It requires openness and transparency with how we're all using the tools so that we can actually um, prevent um, bigger issues from happening before they happen. Definitely. I think a big part of that is getting to understand the capabilities of the tools. I know mm-hmm. from my personal journey with AI this year, the start of the year, being a copywriter, seeing all this stuff that you were saying ChatGPT could do, I was like, oh my God, that's it. My career is done. They don't need copywriters anymore. But I think as I've gotten to understand like the pitfalls, the weaknesses with AI and the strengths as well, like how it can assist me, it certainly helped me be a bit more confident about the direction AI is going. I know obviously there's a lot of other concerns around its usage in terms of data privacy, in terms of utilizing um, copyright materials and other people's intellectual property, that kind of stuff. But in terms of is AI going to replace humans in marketing? Like I think we're a long way from that. At least I hope we're a long way from that. Technology is developing very quickly, but I think that human element is always going to be important. I think 2024 though is going to be important for CMOs to to sort of teach their teams and allow their teams to really explore the capabilities and reach sort of their own understanding of how they want to use AI. Cause right. that is something that is quite special about this technology. That is something that you can use in almost like a quite personal basis when it comes to chat GPT, how you develop that almost a rapport with the machine. I don't mm-hmm. want to be giving it too much credit, but like you do develop <laughs> like a way of like working with it that suits you in a way that certain other types of technology doesn't really allow. And I think that's gonna be a very interesting development over the coming year. 
I think you're, I think you're right. Um, and you know, I've, I've come across, um, people in my network who are hiring prompt engineers as an example. So there's almost, a a, a new role that, that is cropping up that's specific to how um, intelligently you leverage a tool like ChatGPT or other types of AI to get the outcome that you really need and, and to be most efficient. Uh, so I think that's pretty interesting. Um, and then I'm I'm truly excited about some of the innovation that can come out of um, AI. I think the Coca-Cola recently had a um, a run of creative that was developed solely using AI, and it was amazing. Uh, it, it was showing the impossible, but in a very real and fantastical sense. And I think that's a, a really smart way of leveraging creative um, AI and, and, and incorporating that into marketing. Uh, the other thing I would say that we think a lot about, so our, uh, our company index exchange is really dedicated towards uh, originally open internet. And what that means is that our customers are media owners. Now that includes broadcasters and app developers, but fundamentally originally the OG of, of all of our, um, uh, the reason of our existence was to support publishers and journalists and making journalism and the content that people love to see free and accessible to all. And I think a lot about how AI could potentially impact journalism. And, you know, you mentioned being a copywriter. I think that's a really important aspect to what we're doing. And, um, you know, it's it's something that uh, we think a lot about. How do we make sure that uh, good journalism persists? Uh, Google and, and Bing, they're learning the rankings. And so if there's a lot of um, AI-generated content that isn't checked, that 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 goes up, you know, those are penalties that that Google is giving. And it's also, you know, the, the emergence of made-for-advertising sites that you might hear about also leverage AI-generated content. It's not great content. And so I think that there's going to be a delta between reinforcing what is good journalism what is good content and how to continue to support those types of publications to survive and to thrive um, through this next wave. Definitely. I, th I think with sort of AI enabled search being the future, I think that's going to potentially open up a lot more doors for variety on the internet and access to that variety. I think we've been for a long time, very much at the ebbs and flows of what the Google algorithm allows to happen. SEO has dominated a lot of the content that's been put out. And it's it's turned the internet into maybe a more easy to navigate place, but it's it sort of plateaued it. I think like everyone's content is organized the same way. Everyone's creating like titles and meta titles that are structured in the same way to try and try and please this mighty Google SEO algorithm that no one really understands. But if AI is just respond to someone's direct question they're going to look for what answers that question best they're not going to necessarily be like oh these are things just match your search it's a it's a much deeper connection between what someone's inputting into a search engine and what results they're getting as well yes and and you know i think that's something to watch also because there's risk in getting all of the answers within your search engine mm -hmm. but not actually going to the the places where that content is richer and deeper and so that's something that we're we're watching as well that the you know the search engines don't potentially hijack the uh the consumer or the the reader before they actually are able to access that really great content that's richer deeper um better experience overall and so again it's these are changes that you know if you come back to the marketing standpoint and what marketers are paying attention to the the you know, it's an old adage, but the only uh, constant is change. And so as you're learning new, I think that's one of the fascinating things in, about marketing in general is that you have to be in a position to stay on top of that change, to predict the change sometimes, and to figure out how you test early, how you get as much information as possible so that, you know, your strategy is alongside the, the changes that are happening and that you're not falling behind in any way. Definitely. I mean, I imagine there were some marketers back on like whatever the 1920s equivalent of a podcast was sitting around me like, oh, this this t television thing's coming along. It's going to take all our jobs. They're not going to need radio ads anymore. Yeah. But you're right. Marketing is something that is naturally evolving and it evolves at a pace with society. So if society is evolving in a certain direction, marketing's got to evolve in that way as well. Um, and I think 
yeah, AI, it's not just something that's impacting marketing, it's impacting many other aspects of people's lives. Um, like As you say, it's been a big part of machine learning and marketing previously, but this kind of generative AI is opening up a lot of like avenues and doors for people that just weren't historically accessible. Like AI was like this thing that sat in yes. like in the midst of a tech stack that no one really understood and had access to except some very, very select people. Whereas now mm -hmm. it's it's almost democratized. Everyone's got access to it now. Democratized is the perfect word for it. That's right. Yeah, it's it's moved out of the movie screen too. I think that's the other place it's been fan, you know, yeah. uh, made fantastical. But it is accessible to to anyone who who has access to internet at this stage. Definitely, definitely. So, Laurie, um, a few themes that came up in that that kind of lead into the next thing that I want to cover, and that's the idea of efficiencies, and that's been a big watchword for a lot of people in marketing circles like um I, i'm sure pretty much every cmo listening to this every market listening to this has heard the phrase we need to do more with less this yes. year so what do you think that's really meant in the context of 2023 has it actually been a year of doing more with less or is it really a way of rethinking how we're approaching marketing i think it's probably both if, if you were to to you know, separate that out. It, you know, do doing less better was, was actually something that we put into place at Index last year. It was uh, 2022, about August, when we started to see, you know, July, August, at least in, in our industry and in digital advertising, we started to see ad spend fluctuating and, and, and really headed in a downward path. And that's when all of the conversation in, in, in the, uh, the news and everything else was pointing to macroeconomic trends that were uh, uncertain and unstable. And so we early on, we're, we're a privately held company, so we don't have any investment, which gives us autonomy to make decisions faster in some cases around um, our growth and where we invest and where we don't. And so we truly believe in responsible growth. We made decisions last year that really focused on us doing less um, but better. And, and so that's been kind of a theme for us now for the, you know, more than a year and it will continue into 2024. I don't see that changing. That responsible growth allowed us to do things like, um, you know, fortunately, not have the 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 layoffs that we we saw so many other companies in our industry have had and continue to have. Um, we we put you know uh, guidance and guidelines in place to make sure that we were preserving and being conservative about our expectations, and that's really benefited us uh, throughout Index's history uh, in terms of responsible growth. Um, I think that that where it succeeds uh, in organizations is when that do less better has to come down from the top. It has to be throughout the company because I can say do less better to my team all day. But if I'm hearing, well, product is still releasing X, Y, and Z, you're not giving anything up. You know, so, so for me, it's trade-offs, it's prioritizations. If you bring this into priority, then what goes? Um, because it's not sustainable to continue. The the way that manifested for, for my team this year specifically is we launched a new program called Index Explains. It's an educational series, video educational series. And we didn't know what we didn't know when we went into it this year. So we just said, we'll test. We'll see what we can do with the team that we have. And we'll figure out if it works or not. And so we started to test. It was very successful, but it's not sustainable. It, you know. It, at current run rate, it wasn't sustainable for the team that we had. And so we did make investments for next year saying this is a program we want to invest in, but we need to invest in it properly. I think that experimentation on what works and what doesn't allows you to make those prioritization decisions later because it it tells you, yes, this is worth being intentional about and investing in. And then this is, you know, outweighs something else that we might previously uh, been doing and it, it gets the the investment. And so I think that that test and learn is really important because something does have to give when you're doing less. And the emphasis on the quality was something that we didn't want to sacrifice. So I think that's kind of one component about how we're thinking about it. On our customer side, digital ad spend and programmatic particularly is an amazing vehicle for um, doing less better and being adaptable to change through a, a budget cycle or, or throughout the year where, you know, when COVID happened, especially in 2020, people could turn off their budgets right away as they were, you know, adapting and thinking, what is, what's happening here and when will this come back? But just as easily, they can turn those budgets back on. 
and and start to to run again and to spend again when they're ready. And so that adaptability, flexibility, and um, you know, paying attention again to the trends and understanding what drives your business and what drives growth and where you should focus is going to be critical. Uh, it's it's always going to be critical, not just in times of macroeconomic challenge, but I think it taught our teams, especially, it demonstrated that when you have the right focus, uh, I don't feel like there was impact from my team on how we showed up in the industry this year. I think that this has been one of our best years in terms of how we've showed up in the industry. And I think my team was at its smallest size. Um, but it, you know, that's where you invest in team, you invest in focus. And uh, I don't think then there's much impact to the customers that you serve. Fantastic. I, I always love to hear a CMO celebrating their team on the show. It's it's always great to hear. Um, one thing that I do want to touch upon though is um, yeah, the idea of experimentation. I think this idea of doing less more with less kind of thing, is that gonna make people more risk averse though? Like it sounds like you had baked into your budget like money set aside for experimentation, stuff like that, which is I think every CMO does need to look into and have a discussion with their CFO about. But for CMOs who don't necessarily have that liberty or that extra little pot of gold they put away for like doing tests and stuff like that, they don't really have that avenue, surely. Like, how can you actually continue to test and push boundaries and stuff when you're being told we need to do what works and you need to make sure you're driving revenue? Otherwise, you're going to lose your job. But I mean, at the end of the day, CMOs still have the shortest tenure in the C-suite. So I, I can see why a lot of CMOs are being more risk averse with their activities this year. I can see why too. I, I think that's a real pressure. In thinking about it, you know, maybe I'm lucky in that the relationships that I've been able to build with the rest of the the executive team. So we meet every day, actually, except for Fridays, the, the executive team, and uh, spend a lot of time together. Uh, I don't take big budgets, and so I I would say that you know, and and again, this is a, a very specific use case, but. In the case of our, our series, Index Explains, we had very little money, uh, very, very little money. I feel like, I don't know if you used to watch that show MacGyver, but paper clips and bubble gum, like I feel like that's how we strapped it together in some ways. And we learned a lot. Um, we pushed people internally. Uh, I don't know how many hours of YouTube my team spent in learning how to properly light something or using personal cameras to film videos and um, learning how to edit in post-production and create animations. It's not something that they really had done deeply before. And they stepped up and said, okay, I'll learn it. But then shaving away some of the other responsibilities on their plate to give them the time to do that. Uh, that was part of it. Um, content writers also look like we won't be able to release as much content on this side, but let's invest and see what we can do with Index Explains. And we gave it a window of time. Uh, we gave it you know, let's look at the first half. Now, that was a ton of work for those teams. It was also very rewarding for them because it allowed them to grow skill sets. They were really invested in making this successful. And that's when we proved that it worked. And I could make a business case then in the half year to say, look, this is what it's been returning. Do you agree? And the good news was, you know, People had been talking to our CEO about seeing those videos. They've become part of people's onboarding in other companies to, to learn about streaming TV and other things. And so the case made was easy. And I know that that's a success story and not all stories go that way. But I think if you can negotiate with strong objectives and what you expect the outcome to be, this small incremental kind of a budget and think about shaving away something that might be a sacrifice for a short time, but then being able to build a case for that, you can then flex budget or resources as it goes along. What I knew is that my team wouldn't be able to sustain at current run rate. You know, it had to be a finite time. Let's see if we can pull this off. And they did. And so that was, you know, wonderful because we were able to, to get this properly funded. Um, but it was at the expense of other things and other goals that we had in, in content and in digital. Uh, and we knew that going in, but we set the right expectations. I think alignment with CFO, alignment with your commercial stakeholders and alignment with CEO is really important to get that done. Definitely, definitely. And also I'd like to add that doing, doing certain 
activities where you might turn off certain functions or stop doing certain things. It can be a great way to test the actual impact of those and actually show the ROI of them. Like if it turns out you haven't seen any dip in revenue by turning off that function or turning off that activity, maybe you shouldn't be doing that activity in the first place and you should be investing your time in other places. And you don't know until you actually try it, but you do need to, as you say, you do need to have a properly well thought out plan that has buy-in from other stakeholders and stuff to make sure they're aligned and, and know that you are running these tests that have slight risks to them as well and have those risks baked into their plans as well. And I think that's that relationship with the other C-suite members, as you discussed there, I think it's going to be, I mean, it's always been important for CMOs, but it just increases importance year after year. With all the things that are changing about the role, with all the things that change about marketing, it's more important now than ever to really have that deep alliance between the C-suite. You don't necessarily mm-hmm. have to agree on everything, but you have to be working towards the same goal. Ultimately, it needs to be clear how you're impacting that. That's right. I think establishing the goal part is the 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 clutch part, I think, Will. It's the, if they know, and they know me well enough by now that they know what I'm looking for and what I'm looking for in terms of results, and that I will make judicious decisions on my own based off the data that I'm seeing or where I think we can flex back and forth. Like I, I'm a pretty creative um, marketer in that way, even though I was at some of the larger companies, it's not like I had a ton of budget. I always had to get creative in, in how I applied resources. And that's really served me well um, at Index. I think the thing that you just called out about being able to turn things on and off, if you stop a program, did it did it work? It's You can't be very precious about any one of your programs. You might be in love with them and you love doing them and you think they have great impact and they're fun. and they make you proud. But at the end of the day, if you turn them off and no one says anything, there's no, hey, I missed this, or why didn't I get this email newsletter or something? If if there's crickets coming back and the data shows that it wasn't that impactful, I think you just can't be so precious about some of the work um, and, and be able to let it go and, and be flexible um, to what the market is telling you, what your customers are telling you. Definitely. I, th- I think the the big thing with this, the, the, do more with less or do 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 less better is the idea that we need to stop doing marketing or stop doing like marketing activities just for the sake of doing them they need to have an intended goal and purpose behind how they're going to drive like the business forward and i think that's one things that i almost find quite refreshing particularly when it comes to stuff like this big change in mindset, lot lot fewer people are thinking like it's got to be growth at all costs. That's the only way you measure success. Now it's a lot more nuanced in some ways, but also it's a lot clearer as well. Growth means one thing now, and that is revenue. Whereas before it could mean so many different things and it meant so many different things to different people. Whereas now I feel like it's a lot clearer what CMOs need to be doing and what they're expected from the rest of the business as well. That's right. And, and growth at all costs has been... Um, an antithesis, I think, to how we've operated. It's it's responsible growth. It's long term. Um, we're willing to make some of those short term sacrifices because we know in the in the long term it's it's to our best interest. And you know, index has been around for twenty years, which more than twenty years, which in a industry like ours is unheard of. It's just been adapting and flexing to the the industry and the changing environment as as we go. And it's it's remarkable to to be independent for this long and and not you know, feel beholden, um, I think, to making other decisions. Definitely, definitely. So, um, Laurie, there was uh, something you touched on when we were uh, discussing that topic, and that was macroeconomic issues. Mm-hmm. I think we'd be remiss if we didn't discuss how that's been impacting the industry. I mean, I don't. I, we don't necessarily have to dig into the politics behind a lot of the stuff that's been going on. But I think in terms of everything that's been going on this year that's contributed to cost of living crises, people's emotional well-being as well there's been a lot of very very horrible things going on in the news no matter what your political stance is so i think that's got to have an impact both internally and externally for cmos it's got to impact their teams and it's got to impact their customers and their consumers as well so let's let's start with sort of the impact it's had on let's, let's start with the consumer thing because i think that leads in quite nicely from the the doing uh, better with less kind of topic so how have you seen this kind of like how have your how have your customers been sort of responding to everything that's been going on? You mentioned like shifts in sort of like how they're spending their money in terms of pro- programmatic and digital ad spend and stuff like that. But what other things we've been hearing and how have you had to respond to that as a CMO? Hard to narrow down um, because you you mentioned a lot of things. The the macroeconomic 
climate and depending on where you are in the world, we're a global company. And so that's obviously hitting some regions harder than other regions uh, is a very serious concern, particularly for some of our traditional publishers and and media owners who are um, really, um, I think, struggling in this time in in, in journalism, just in general. Um, And and so we're really sensitive to that. And, And the fortunate part, I guess, is that we that is our primary customer. And so where we we are focused on driving revenue for media owners, um, leveraging other partners in the ecosystem like the buyer or the, the demand side um, platforms. And, and so I think that, again, with programmatic, you can make quicker decisions about flexing your spend up and down. But, you know, the, the you know, indexes take rate or fee, uh, if you will, um, it goes down every year because our exchange becomes more efficient. So we're really focused on passing more uh, working media spend to to the media owner. And so I think that's that's always been a focus of ours and, and making our tech more efficient in order to do that. Uh, so I think that's kind of on the the economic side is is just the realization that there are a lot of companies that are going through really hard times. So as as good as partners as we can be from a you know, trusted advisor, consultant, um, understanding what would help them make more revenue. All of that is something that we're we're really paying particular attention to. In terms of everything going on in the world, I think you you mentioned not, not to get political, and I think that's the key. Uh, these things are very human things. They're not, uh, you know, at least to me, it, it's politics aside, it's human. And so I think that's what, you know, a lot of uh, marketing fundamentally is is human to me. It's it's reaching humans. And and so whether that's employees within the company, whether that's the customer, whether that's the industry at large, um, that's what it comes back to from from a marketing standpoint. So we do have uh, legs and line of sight and empathy and are paying attention across all of these issues because it's impactful um, to all of us, I think, in in different forms. And so as marketers, I think that sensitivity needs to be um, held. The needs of our customers need to be the focus. And so that in some ways helps to focus our time as well um, in in doing um, less but better. Definitely, definitely. So that's your responsibilities as a marketer. What about as a leader? What about when it comes to your team and their emotional and physical well-being with everything that's going on right now like how have you how have you been managing that this year we it, it's we take it very seriously I, I think that the one of our core values at index is support each other it matters and it is very ingrained within the DNA of the leadership here and the company that this is an important aspect and, and value of our of our ethos and in what we do it starts I think with setting clear policies that allow the, it's almost guidelines and rules around how we handle um, various situations. So whether that's offering robust insurance that that provides um, access to resources that that people need. We have a a mental health first aiders program within Dindex where we've invested a lot of time in getting people trained to be support systems for other indexers. Um, We've expanded our um, time off policies to include mental health and, and not just uh, physical health. Um, so those are important ways. Um, we have a lot of our affinity groups that are that are meeting regularly and, and DEI core groups. But aside from that, personally as a leader, I think it's the the transparency and communication. Like we, I I do feel like I lead with an openness and and authenticity where people are allowed to to bring who they are to work and have open conversations with their managers. And if not, I'm sort of an open door. I'm I'm in the office. Um, I would encourage that people come. And if they don't want to talk about it, they don't have to, and they can take a day off. And I'd like them to. I think it's it's now more important than ever to recognize that we do not see um, 99% of what a person is going through. And uh, I, I have a lot of empathy for that. And that you know, that hopefully percolates all the way through my organization where everyone feels empowered to take a beat if they need to, to vocalize and, and be transparent when they're going through a hard time. And the rest of us will carry it through. Uh, and I think my my team understands that and is is a team that is willing to step up and raise their hand and and be there for someone else if they need, if they need time. Um, but that 
openness is really important to me. Definitely. I, I think that perspective, that that approach as well, is going to be even more important next year as well. There's an election year coming up in the US. There's um, an election year coming up in the UK as well, potentially, if they ever declare a general election, but I'm not going to get into that right now. Yeah. Um, based on recent electoral cycles, it's likely to bring a lot of very contentious issues to the mm-hmm. floor once again. I mean, in some ways, like those issues come to the fore in the last election cycle could almost be seen as having a positive in some respect as they've actually put a spotlight on these issues. And I feel like we've made a lot of progress as society based on those issues coming to the fore. But at the same time, if you're in a certain vulnerable group that's being attacked in the media, or if you're if you've got family members who are going through very difficult times, maybe abroad in some of the conflicts that are going on, it's going to be very difficult to manage those and be aware of all the different things that are going on in people's lives. So how much of a responsibility do you feel as a as a leader, as a, a duty of care almost towards your team moving into 2024? And do you feel like you've laid a nice runway to kind of navigate yourself through whatever comes? Or like, is, it, is it just going to be, we have no idea how difficult it's going to be at this stage? The sad answer that I have, Will, is that there's so much that has happened in the past three to four years that have been unpredictable and, and unforeseeable in ways um, that... I think I'm prepared for anything. And, and I mean that in, in the sense that every time something new happens that's horrific and tragic, which is, is happening more frequently or, or um, you know, polarizing in, in different communities, um, we have that care. We have the, the, the care that we need to take and acknowledge. I think the first thing is acknowledging that it's happening. Um, what, no matter what side you sit on, it's acknowledging that this is happening and that it's impactful to the people who work at Index, to my team, to our customers, and making sure that people have that awareness and respect. I think for what's what's going on in the world. In terms of next year, it's it is. I am kind of bracing myself. Um, I'm not. You know, I have to shore myself up for another um, um, political year and the the potential. Um, of what what could happen. But um, I do think that, you know, as I mentioned, the executive team meets daily. And these are issues that we talk about regularly. How should we respond to X, Y, or Z? What support are we giving to employees? Are there people that we need to be aware of that are um, uh, impacted um, in a very specific way that, that we need to be cognizant of? And how do we lend support? That the question is always, how are we supporting the our employees and how are we supporting them individually and then more broadly um it is unpredictable what will happen but what is true is that it will not be easy this year and and so i think that's what we need to be prepared for and the openness the empathy the understanding that you have to almost grant someone initially um is going to be really critical to to making it through this year and and giving people the space um, the space to think, the space to to grieve in some cases, the space to react. Um, and not everyone has the same perspective. And that's the other thing that as a company, you balance that there might be opposing opinions about what's happening. There might be different viewpoints. Um, in fact, there will be because we 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 hope to have a you know diverse and and uh, experience experiences that are quite different globally uh, from each other. That's what makes a company unique and, and thrive. But but that also means that it's not going to be consistent viewpoints across the board. And so being respectful and, and managing through that in a respectful way is going to be critical. Definitely. definitely. So leading on to the next point then, um, what impact do you think that would have, like the next year is going to have on, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm going to roll that back a little bit. I think 2023 really saw a big emergence in terms of purpose or values-driven marketing. A lot more brands are willing to speak up about the political or the environmental causes they care about and there's been a lot more attention paid to making sure that companies are walking the walk when they're they're talking that talk which i think which i think is great i think it's incredible that consumers are being a bit more interrogative of the brands they support but are companies like to continue that trend in 2024 considering what we've talked about in terms of like the political landscape like is it going to be safer for companies to just kind of go back to being this apolitical faceless mass or should companies should brands be looking to really yeah put their money where their mouth is and support things that they're they care about that the values they they should be supporting like what are your thoughts along those lines particularly in light of gen z becoming even more important in terms of consumer base like they have 
said almost overwhelmingly that they care about the values that a brand supports. How do you kind of marry those two different conflicting ideas? Hmm. I think it's not a trend that's going away. I think this is the emergence, you know, the past two years, three years is the emergence of the accountability that consumers expect brands to have, where spending power is really important. And so issues around sustainability, issues around um, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, and, and representation are things that will have even more importance moving forward. Now, how public a company is about you know, demonstrating and, and, and actively taking sides on one issue or another is, is kind of another topic, but fundamentally, um, companies that aren't leaning into their values and leaning into some of these issues that the really humans care about broadly, um, th- they'll be left behind. I think it's it's no longer what a company wants to talk about and, and look good about. It actually is fundamentally about business growth. And it is not an, an option anymore. There's five point, I think Kantar's latest study was $5.4 trillion in spending for underrepresented groups now. This is only continuing if you're not representing um, these groups in and not being inclusive in the way that you're marketing, then you're leaving $5.4 trillion on the table. So as brands, I think that's where, you know, if the CFO wasn't, you know, wasn't necessarily bought in before and thought it was a, a side gig uh, for DEI to come up or sustainability, it's not that way anymore. Um, and from a business to business perspective, because the brands are getting the pressure for consumers, the brands are spending through their supplier um, suppliers and asking through RFPs, what is what are your sustainability practices? Have you set goals? Uh, what does that look like? Uh, most of our RFPs these days uh, include DEI metrics. How does Index handle DEI? What are some of your um, you know metrics in terms of representation? We're asked to do this because it's trickling down and the pressures from the consumer ultimately. The great part about this is that it, it actually will drive change. And this is where, again, consumers have so much power in how they they lead change and, and hold us to account. And this is one of the areas that I'm actually most excited about. Gen Z is very particular about um, you know, aligning values to the brands that they spend money with but they're just the beginning, they're the future spenders. And this is uh, something that will help to drive all of us to the outcome that we wanted, but we didn't always have the, the proof points to show that there was real business value there. And now business value and, and business growth is aligned more closely with issues that, that humans care about in ways that I think will actually drive change. And it's it's very needed uh, and it's very behind, um, honestly. So I'm looking forward to 2024 because I think we're going to start to see more and more um, public uh, accounts of, of how they're treating DEI and sustainability within the workplace and the marketplace. Definitely, definitely. And and particularly on the, the sustainability front, um, um, I, I was doing a bit of research on this recently because we are looking into covering this in some depth next year as part of our content strategy. Um, yeah, that, something like it was like 70% of consumers have said that they they believe that corporations and businesses have a, a duty towards sustainability. And that number seems low compared to what I'm seeing in terms of online discourse and stuff like that, in terms of like, the way that I've been talking to a lot of marketers about this topic as well, like it, it feels low. And I, I imagine that's only going to increase next year, particularly in light of a lot of countries, a lot of governments have been rolling back on their promises to work towards net zero. They're like investing more money into oil and gas and stuff like that. And it, it, it almost shocks me that we've got to the point where capitalism corporations have to save the planet. Like That shouldn't be the way it should work. It should be governments getting together and deciding this is what makes sense. But the fact that it is something that can make businesses money and it could lead to saving the planet, then it's got to be a good thing, surely. Like, good yeah, thing. Yeah. Yes, it's, it's long overdue, but well, you know, uh, business or government, um, we need to make progress. And so if it's coming through businesses and, and where consumers are spending, then great. Um, it, you know, we're, we're, we're really behind. And so we have a lot of work to do collectively. Um, and so however it moves fastest, I think is the, the right avenue. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Um, so we've, we've talked about a lot of like very big societal issues and how they're going to impact 
mark the marketing landscape next year, Laurie. Let, let's maybe scale it back a little bit and talk about something that is going to have a big impact on marketing, but it's not necessarily going to have a big impact on society as a whole. And that's finally, finally, the end of third-party cookies. They've been coming for a long time. Google has promised that it's going to happen next year. What impact do you see this having on how marketers operate, particularly in your space? I imagine it's going to have a huge impact in your space, Laurie. Yes, we're we're investing a lot of time right now in 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 solutions. So I think when they first announced it uh, a few years back, we really focused on um, integrating and interoperability with different types of identifiers um, that that existed. And I think it's it's not a one solution fits all for for everyone, depending on if a marketer has first party data or not. There there are obviously different types of solutions, contextual, uh, things like that, that have been now in existence and gained popularity over the past couple of years. The new thing for this year, I think tied with Google's announcement and final deprecation is Google Privacy Sandbox, which is something that we started to invest in a few months back and have really come to a place where we are starting to test Um, with some partners and getting really ahead of the curve, I think for next year, there is a lot of, um, a lot that we don't know because we're just, everyone is just now getting into testing. I would say index might be a little bit ahead. A few months ago, we actually built out a a separate sort of exchange so that we could test um, from all aspects, from the SSP side, the DSP side, what does this look like on the publisher side to mimic how this might actually work. And so, you know, I mentioned in X Explains before our our educational series, but we've just filmed Google Privacy Sandbox specific um, topics because it is complicated. Uh, We're just now getting into testing. And I think there's real consternation about how this is actually going to work, moving some of this functionality into the browser versus what we've done for years and years with with third-party cookie. And so it's, it's really important for, um, I think everyone in the ecosystem to begin testing Google Privacy Sandbox and the implications there so that there's continuity in functionality and outcomes that marketers have grown to rely on when the, the third-party cookie goes away, in addition to some of the other solutions that exist for um, alternative IDs and, and contextual um, targeting and things like that. Definitely. Yeah. And I think one of the things that probably a good thing for consumers, at least, that's coming out of this is people are a lot more willing to actually tell people how much their data is worth to to the company now. Like People are a lot more aware of the amount of data they provide to companies. They're a lot more aware of how much value there is there. So companies are going to have to go out there and give some kind of fair exchange. That's one of the most interesting things I've, I've heard in discourse around these um, the end of third-party cookies, this idea of actually giving something back in exchange for people's data. Because it used to be like, Data, schmata, like we'll get that for free off people. No one really knows what they're giving away with this kind of stuff. But now people are a lot more aware and they're a lot more aware of like you're having a lot fewer options to get their data. So it's going to be quite interesting to see how marketing evolves to be able to collect that first party data. I think it's going to open up a lot more. I mean, it's, it, it's going to be a bit more expensive maybe to get that data, but I think it will open up a lot of very interesting opportunities for marketers to find interesting activations, interesting ways of, of, showing people that they value their their data and the, the value they're bringing to the company along with that. That's right. In, in addition to the value of the data itself, it's the value that the company places on that data to the consumer. And, and through value, I mean, um, in terms of data protection and privacy. So I think, you know, ultimately, the third-party cookie going away is a means to, in Chrome, I mean, it's it's already been gone for, for a number of years in other browsers, so it's, it's not necessarily new. But I think a lot of what's driving some of these changes that make it far more complicated on the marketer side in the short term um, is this push for consumer data protection and, and privacy that's long overdue. Again, one of those things, well, <laughs> bring it back to the beginning of the conversation, that the technology outpaced the the regulation probably in the the foresight on how to protect consumers along the way and so now we're we're implementing you know we implemented uh, measures over the past 15 years to to try to get at data protection and so i think uh we are very excited about privacy solutions for data um in this new age um but it still needs to be y- useful for the marketer and the brand it still needs to be a really good consumer experience. And, uh, you know, I think as long as we can preserve 
those things principally, I think we should be in good shape. But there's a lot of early testing with Privacy Sandbox that um, is going to happen in the first part of this year that that will be impactful for um, the, the eventual demise of the third-party cookie. Definitely. I mean, I, I look forward to my LinkedIn stream just being full of people giving like, this is your Google Privacy Sandbox hacks. This is how you can do this with yes. Google Privacy Sandbox and stuff like yeah. that. Um, yeah, so Laurie, I, I feel like we, we've described a lot of challenges that are coming in in 2024. Like what would you maybe say is your key piece of advice for CMOs heading into the new year? Like what should they be really focusing on in terms of in terms of themselves as marketing leaders? Let's not maybe talk about strategy. Let's not talk about tactics. Let's talk about like being a leader in 2024. Like what would your key piece of advice be? I'm going to have to echo what we've been talking about, which is the human part. You have to be human through this. Uh, you have to be human through leading your teams and being open with your teams and transparent and understanding that there's a world going on around the the world of work uh, for all of these individuals and understanding the customer side of that too and the the human side of customers. Like everything that we do is is impactful and touches not only the employees that work in your company but your customers in the industry at large. And, and we need to be thoughtful and intentional about how we're moving into this year. I think it's going to be a, a shaky year in some ways. And I think that focus, the intentionality and, and keeping humanity at the forefront is going to be critical. Definitely. That, that's great advice there, Laurie. Let's let's leave things on, on a really nice, like upbeat note. What are you really looking forward to in 2024? Is there something big coming up that you're excited about? Um. I'm excited about so many things, actually. Uh, and so we've been talking about, about some some doom and gloom, Will, but I, I am excited about so many things. I think um, we are um, launching new products next year that are super exciting and I think will we'll kind of change the face of, of Index for good and uh, helping to support our partners, which you know we'll be announcing um, early next year, which I'm, I'm really excited about. Um, and I'm really excited to be honest about my team right now. I think the the team that I have in place is is such a good team. They're they're actually just making me like, I don't know, so happy these days. And we're going through budget planning and, and strategy. And I can't wait to see what they do next year. I think there's just been so much momentum and collaboration across the group. And I, I think there's just so much opportunity for us to continue to do more for our customers. Um, so I'm I'm really excited about um watching the team grow and develop. Uh, that, that's really nice. As I said earlier in the episode, I love hearing CMOs talking about how much they appreciate the teams. And that's really nice that they're the forefront for you in, in 2024, Laurie. Thank you very much for this discussion, Laurie. It's been really interesting. As I said, there's been so much to cover in 2023. And I'm sure there's some people listening saying, oh, you didn't mention this. So you didn't talk about this that's happening. But there's just so much to cover. So we can't cover everything. But I think we've, we've nailed some of the really big stories. And I think we've discussed well, as far as we know, what the big things are going to be in 2024, who knows what's going to come along, but I think we've done our best there. So yeah, thank you very much for your time, Laurie. I really enjoyed this conversation. Absolutely. Thank you, Will. Um, and I want to thank the audience as well for listening. Um, as I said, 2023 has been a challenging year. 2024 is likely to be a challenging year as well. But together, we will get through them and you can keep listening to CMO Convos for advice all the way through next year as well. And thank you for listening in 2023. We'll be back soon with some more CMO Convos. Like what you heard from this CMO combo? Make sure you hit that subscribe button and leave a rating so the whole world knows how great it was.